friends! Welcome to episode 151 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, I'm in my slide weeks for work, so now the stress level climbs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and my, my energy level drops. So it's kind of good that this show is you talking. So I'm just going to grab my cup of tea. I'm yeah. going to go sit in the corner and cheer you, you on. You just take the night off and uh, just go go sit sit in your comfy chair. That's right. That's right. That's, it's right there. And I got a blankie. I'm all set to go. You got a blankie, man. Right. All, you, all you need is a kitten, but I don't think they're ready to come down here yet. No, they, they, they no. get into too many But things. I do have kittens now. You do have kittens now. I do now. have kittens now. Little naked chicken cutlets. I do. I have two sphinxes. They're adorable. Isabella and Contessa, yeah. and uh, for all of those who uh, love the love me talking about Seven C, no, it did not come from Seven C names. <laughs> I assure you, uh, the thought had been there, but uh, no, uh, they they got their names, uh, and we both, my wife and I, agreed that we would wait till we saw them. We had books and lists ready to go, you know, and uh, when it came down to it, uh, one of them was just content to be held all the time. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying that she was so content. She was so content. She's Contessa. Contessa. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's our con- content Contessa. And then uh, Isabella came from uh, a combination of things. Uh, but we were looking for a strong explorer because that's what she was in the house. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, we came up with uh, Isabella from Phineas and Ferb. Mm, okay. Uh, who is a scout character. And she's sure. she's very forward-thinking. Uh, and she is both uh, of uh, Spanish and Jewish descent. So she's Garcia Shapiro. Oh, okay. <laughs> and okay. their parents, her parents run a, her mother runs a restaurant that is a Mexican Jewish restaurant. Oh, nice. So they, you know, uh, it, it, some of their dishes are hilarious, but mm-hmm. I, I love the concept of it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a throw to Dan and Swampy on that side because we thought that she was a fantastic carrier. And then on the far side of that, of course, you always have the endearing names and also the trouble names that people get. Uh, Isabella has gotten the name Turdina, Princess Turdina. Turdina. She okay. gets, uh, she's quite a turd at times. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so Tordina came out, of, and that's actually a throwback to um, uh, Star First the Force of Evil, which is another cartoon we watch because mm-hmm. uh, I, I love these things. And uh, one of the main characters in it has to Marco has to disguise himself at one point and becomes Princess Tordina, by named so by Ponyhead, uh, another character who is a, a little bit uh, zany to say the least, and, mm-hmm. and controlling. So, so we call her Princess Tordina on occasion, and sometimes that's her middle name of Isabella Tordina. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, but they're sweet, they're wonderful. They yeah. wake me up at three o'clock in the morning with tiny bites to remind me that uh, it's time to get up for some reason. Yeah, yeah. and then of course at six a.m. sharp, it's choo choo choo, wake up, daddy. Yeah. It's time to feed, yes. you know, so to feed us, please. They bite your toes? No, actually, they're very good at just nibbling on my thumb and on the knuckle of my thumb. Okay, and they're okay, very okay. soft about it, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's been – it's actually been pretty decent with them. Uh, we've only had one minor medical issue, and now I think we've, we might have another. Mm-hmm. Uh, same little girls, just uh, – she's going to be our little sick girl. Yeah. So – but yeah, you got a long show ahead of you tonight, so I'm gonna stop talking about anything else. <laughs> that's, that's perfectly. I got fine, you your man. tea here. Do you need some honey in that? Because uh, I, I figure this is gonna take a little while. I, mean, I, I might actually. Um, but uh, no, tonight's tonight's kind of my uh, my senior thesis, my doctorate yeah. thesis here. So oh, very much so. Um, uh, one of the, uh, the 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 biggest requests that we've been getting is uh, that we we do shows all the time about little parts of how to run the game. Mm-hmm. Um, little aspects of, 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 of the art of storytelling, but, um, 
lots of people wanted to see kind of how we wrap it all together. How we do it ourselves. How we do it, yeah. yeah. Um, specifically, uh, you know, what, what it looks like when we execute our own formula. And so that's what uh, we're going to do tonight. Rob's yeah. Rob, Rob, I think yours is scheduled for June. Yes, which um, gives me time. It <laughs> gives you a little time. Um, this was my idea, so I, I went first. And I appreciate that. Um, but uh, we're going to go over my campaign. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about the actual plot um, tonight. That's actually something I'm not going to go into because it's almost incidental to the mechanics of how I put it together, mm-hmm. you know. What color the car is is unimportant compared to what's kicking under the hood, and that's kind of what I'm what I'm trying to do for you guys today is um, pop the hood on my campaign and show you what my thought process was on a lot of things, what my goals were, um, what system I'm using, yeah. and why. It's how it started out as a '57 Chevy and now can do the uh, the mile in less than you know. Point six zero or something. I don't, I'm totally making these things up because I am not not a car person. Not a car person yeah, in any yeah. way. I work so. for an automotive company and I am still not a car person. Thankfully, like, <laughs> I, I, I pull stuff out of databases. I don't know crap about cars. That's true. It's all you, numbers no, to no, me. You know they have a lot of problems. <laughs> well, right, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the crap you pull out. So, all right. So let's, let's start at the ground level. Yeah, you have to show. All of the bits and pieces, like we've done in the 101s. Right, right. So my my thought is, let's let's start at the the base level. What is the concept? All right. So my campaign is um, set in the Elder Scrolls world of Tamriel. Okay. Uh, popular if you've played Skyrim, Oblivion, Morrowind, Elder um, Scrolls MMO, Elder, Elder Scrolls Online. Right. Yep. Um, uh, it's basically a lot of your typical sword and sorcery mm-hmm. uh adventure group fighting evil things mm-hmm. style stuff yep. it's pretty yep. cut and dry if you've played D&D it's pretty much that style of campaign yeah hi, um definitely high magic yeah. in the sense that you have magical beings yeah. that are yeah. i mean like the elves in this quote unquote elves are magical mm-hmm. uh the world itself is magical there's yeah. magic in everything um and there are uh deific beings uh called the daedra who mm-hmm. are very um constantly meddling with life on Tamriel and stuff Because like why not? Because why not? They're you bored. know, it's the Forgotten Realm. I mean, it's, you know... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, there, there's there's some... I uh, See, so you're going to trap... Questions like that, you're going to trap me into going in a lore tangent. No, not at all. We'll um, keep moving. But all I'm saying is that it, much like Forgotten Realms, much yes. like those types of things where you have a deistic world where there's a little bit of metal, that's all it takes. I mean, Warhammer does the exact same thing oh, sure. with its gods oh, sure. in a more direct sense. Sure. So... It is a very common theme, but it's one easily attached to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. by anybody who's been involved in any of those. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that I, I really like the Elder Scrolls um, world is that's what, what it kind of attracted it to me was that there is a lot of really good lore. They mm-hmm. they twist a lot of the things in your typical D and D style game. Um, like the separation between the Aedra and the Daedra, right. and like how magic works. Um, like the sun isn't a big star; it's actually a giant hole in the side of um of the the material realm, and the light you're seeing bleeding through it is actually pure magic. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with all the stars; they're pinpoint holes in the canopy above that is that is the the material world of Mundus. Yeah. Um, you know, all sorts of cool little things like that. Yeah, and um, I, I think the other aspect of it is, is that I, I kind of want to talk about, or that I want to ask you about, is all of the games put the protagonist uh, characters in a very heroic sense. You're mm-hmm. always at this high level of heroism, but with a very kind of defined world around it, where 
there are people doing relatively mundane, relatively mundane things. You have thieves guilds, you have you have you know mages guilds, you have all these things that sure, make up sure. this complex world. What made you shift away from, or how do you feel you shifted away from the perspective that the video games and and the books and lore have kind of put forth to present the players in a little different light? Um, so it's it's something that I I tend to do with a lot of the media that I consume, um, and that is I look at it and I go. This could be so much bigger than what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, were it let out of its box, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and Elder Scrolls was something that always inspired me to do that. You okay. see, um, one of my first experiences with, uh, Skyrim and watching, like, Let's Plays on, mm-hmm. on YouTube and stuff like that was watching a YouTuber named Gopher, um, who does these, like, really heavy lore, role play, heavily modded Skyrim Let's Plays. Mm-hmm. And, like, he talks to the NPCs and stuff like that, and you sure. hear his thought process a lot. And he stays very in-character the mm-hmm. entire time, and it was very engaging to watch him for a while. And um, But at the same time, though, he's still constrained by the uh, by the coding of mm-hmm. the video game mm-hmm. and such like that. And um, I always found the Elder Scrolls world very engaging, but I always thought that it was a, it was a shame that you could only do what was programmed in the game. And that if it were quote-unquote, let out of its box. You know, if we brought it to the table with players and a storyteller who could just tell whatever story they wanted rather than what was, you know, bound by the programming of, of, a, of a video game, you could do so much more with it. Yeah. And that's that's where I'm at. That's what I wanted to do with this game, and that was kind of the goal. Okay, okay, um, okay. So when you started this, did you feel that uh, you wanted it to be more narrative more story than the traditional tactical feel that D&D had even though it it sat that I know that one of the things that you 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 started with D&D for a specific reason we'll get to that but I I'm I'm more for the fact of in your setup you kind of had a feeling of what you wanted out of the game now that you had your setting yeah, I, you, I, you needed to expose that, and you definitely did that with us as players, kind of presenting it to us in a way that we this wasn't going to be a dungeon crawly game. Yeah, yeah, I definitely um, had the goal in mind when starting the game that this is going to be a lot more. Um, I mean, there was definitely going to be dungeon crawling aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's just something fun to do in swords and sorcery style style games. You kind of expect it, and, right? And and there's a lot of great opportunities for it um, in in the Elder Scrolls setting. Um, but I definitely wanted to make it a vivid world filled with memorable NPCs. And Who weren't just you, black and white. Yeah, and give you a lot of great opportunities for interpersonal role play, social dynamics, mm-hmm. um, group dynamics, and things like that. Uh, and it's not something that D&D focuses very heavily on in its rule set. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, When everything is just just waiting to be punched in the face with a D20? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but, but it definitely was a goal, and, and you can play it that way. Like, Critical Role shows that you definitely can oh, play yeah. it as a as a very talky, social, mm-hmm. you know, sort of game. And that's that's basically where I was where I was aiming for, because I knew my group. I knew so, I had a lot of heavy role players in my group. Why did you start with D&D? Um, and I, why 5th edition? The funny thing is, I didn't. Originally started right. with D&D. See, I knew that. Go lead in this. I'm yep. just going to step le- you. Oh, yeah. I know. I knew it was a leading question. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, uh, so the um, the actual original uh, rule set that I was going to use for it was WR&M, uh, Warrior right. Rogue and Mage right. by Stargazer Games. Uh, we've talked about it briefly on the game uh, on the show before, um, and it's a very rules-light uh, system. Um, I think like, the whole PDF is something like 12 pages, and eight of those pages are charts. 
Okay. Um, and, and like charts with a lot of artwork around them. Like we're not talking full page, you know, reference material here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very simple, very streamlined game. It's called Warrior Rogue and Mage because those are the three attributes. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Let's, let's keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, and, but I, I understood that it was going to need to be a little bit more robust than that. So I was in the process of, uh, house ruling a lot of stuff and kind of adding onto the, the bare bones framework of it to turn it into something I could run a Tamriel style game off of. Um, it was around that time that, uh, one of our contributor Patreons and fans of the show, Knox in the Box, mm-hmm. uh, introduced me to Critical Role. And so Sean and I started watching that and, um, I, I saw what game system they were using, mm-hmm. uh, which was 5th edition D&D. Uh, now, I had gotten away from D&D at this point, and this mm-hmm. is one of the main reasons why I didn't originally reach for D&D is because I had – I still actually thought that 4th edition was the most recent edition. Yeah. And I saw the reviews after three – if I kind of drifted away from 3.5 and was like, oh, good thing I got out of the D&D racket because, man, that, like, did yeah, not go my the brain went, I wanted to go. Isn't there a 4.5? Like, and we had been playing my game for yeah. a while under those same style rules. Yeah, so you it were was, still in 3.5. I was. Yeah. I was back you then. You ignored 4 completely. I did. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, I said, I was, I was unaware that 5th edition was even a thing. And mm-hmm. we started watching Critical Role, and I was like, these rules actually seem, like, really reasonable. Is this 4th edition? We did a little bit of Googling. In one evening, realized not only was 5th edition a thing, but 5th edition, coincidentally, was doing a lot of the things that I had come up with house-ruling WR&M to do and to function like. Um, and I was like, well crap, they just kind of did my job for me. I'm going to give 5th edition a look. I gave it a look. I loved the changes they had made with it, um, and I leaned right into it. So we had our 5th edition game. And and realistically, I mean, with the advent of D&D Beyond, which mm-hmm. made it even easier, because then if you had any customizations, you could plug it right in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And you could tweak every character, look at every sheet, know how we were building our characters well before we physically sat down and started doing it with, you know, around the table, because we could look at them. And then if you needed to make adjustments, they were right there before you, which I think lends itself to say how how nice that helped you move through things. But I think one of the big ones was talking about the class or the um, races mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and being able to manage races and even classes to a degree, but mostly the races. Yeah, um, homebrewing was an interesting step in this mm-hmm. um, because uh, obviously Tamriel turns a lot of things on their on their side, so you can't just one for one use the D and D book, right? Or at least on the surface, it doesn't look like it doesn't you can. feel like you can. It doesn't yeah. feel like you can because like. You've got certain races that you, you know, what, what do you do with them? Um, the more I dug into it though, uh, I realized that I wasn't going to have to change a lot. Mm-mm. Um, and that was a good thing. Uh, I saw so the human and human variant as what I used for Imperial and Red Guard. Um, half elves were Bretons mm-hmm. and th- lore wise, that's exactly what they are. They're, they're of elven, uh, uh descent. Um, for Dunmer, the Dark Elves, I didn't actually use Dark Elves. I used the Tiefling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a reskin of Tiefling mm-hmm. because they had a charisma ba- a bonus, um, fire-based cantrips, and uh, knowledge of like the Infernal, aka Daedric, Daedric. language. Yeah. Um, 
Goliaths became Nords mm-hmm. um, because they've got cold resistance. They're sure. a mighty build, warrior race, lots of bonuses like that. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, Tabaxi and Lizard Folk became my Khajiit and my Argonians. Straight easy. Um, and the main reason I, I, in homebrewing this and setting this up, um, I, my, my main goal was to keep everything as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Um. With a group that is unfamiliar, because I know a lot of you, uh, I think this is before we started playing Elder Scrolls Online, I think. Um, or at least you guys, I'd been playing it since beta. You had been playing it since beta. Uh, I had started into it, but uh, I think Vicky hadn't uh, played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erica hadn't. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was. it wasn't... Uh, as widely known, but yeah, like Sean, Sean and the Mad Elf were were the only um, two at our table that had any like general familiarity with the. Uh, with I the had setting. history because mm-hmm. I I played Battlespire back in the day, and I had played uh, uh, a few of the other games, but it had been a while. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And you definitely needed a refresher on it, you know. But but at least you had like a foundation. You, yeah. Um. But what I'm saying, though, is that none of us, n- nobody other than maybe, like, Sean and possibly the Mad Elf were, like, real, like, huge Elder Scrolls fans. Right, so, like, this right. wasn't me bringing a table, that, bringing a setting to a table that everybody was super familiar with. Right, right. Um, at least half of the table needed to get to know the world. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I didn't want to do was hit you guys with an unfamiliar world and an unfamiliar rule set at the same time. Yeah, I, and I, I think we've we've stressed that enough when we're talking about picking the right system is you have to look at the composition of your group and make some decisions. If you're if you're bringing in a whole new world that's not as accessible. Now granted, you had paper lore and places you could point us to, websites, wiki links, oh, all sure, kinds of stuff which, sure. was, which having that resource base on the world setting mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, almost too much information is out there for that side of it. Well, yeah, that's actually it's the, that's kind of overwhelming. Problem, yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, you also wanted to keep the system as simple as as possible, so not having as many game breaking or not game breaking, but game changing designs in it definitely leveled that out for exactly. the players. Exactly, and that's that's why I chose rather than to like write my own races was just to skin the ra- you know reskin the races that were already there. Um, that way, I know they're they're already balanced, mm-hmm. um, at least within within the grand scheme of what you know, Wizards of the Coast did with Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, uh, but uh, you guys could look in a book that was published material and yep. official and say these are the rules that I'm looking at. Yep. You know. Yep. Um. So then you made a decision, um, a ways in. Yeah. To switch to suede. Yes, uh, uh, Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. Right. I, um, I think part of the Adventure Edition was the fact of just kind of it came in our discovery of the Adventure Edition versus just Savage World. Because we had originally talked about Savage World a little bit, and then we saw the Adventure Edition version of it and the cli- the, the, the change – I'd say cleaned up rules. But it was a long discussion that we had had about Savage Worlds before you even stepped into it. But it, it kept getting more and more interesting to you, the idea of it. Yeah, we uh, we did a system spotlight on it we did. Uh, a while back. I don't remember what, what episode it was, but it was it was a little bit ago. Um, We're not and, that pretentious. <laughs> uh, I, I just remember falling in love with the, with the, with the rules of it mm-hmm. um, because it, it – it cleaned up so many good mechanics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've always been a big proponent of classless, levelless systems. Uh, I feel like uh, you know games teach you how they pl- how to play them. Mm-hmm. And when 
uh, something like Dungeons and Dragons where you've got classes. You know, you find people will sit at your table and go, well, what can I do? Mm-hmm. What would a fighter do? Right. And I don't, I, I think that's a, I think it's a bad pigeonhole for role play, especially when you, when you are trying to run a game where you're trying to get people to express themselves as complex individuals mm-hmm. in a complex world full of complex individuals, mm-hmm. um, rather than just a dungeon crawly, I hit orc, orc die. Right. You know? Um, well, I, I, I think there is something to be said about starting off with roles so that you are a little more framed on what am I? I am support. I support other people. I'm a healer. I heal other people. I'm the fighter. I get in front and fight things. I would say uh, for 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 maybe if if I had newer role players, right? Um, yes, right. Yeah, that that would be applicable if if I had new role players. Um, everybody at my table is a veteran role player though, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like that step is necessary. And so stepping into Swade definitely made sense i agree yeah absolutely um i knew that my group would definitely um it would give them a lot more breathing room um to uh, allow them to have a classless levelless system to kind of create a person out of rather than a fighter or a monk or a right. cleric right you know uh and Right away, right away when we started playing Savage Worlds, that became very evident. Um, like, the cleric was making Thieves Guild connections in our mm-hmm. first game, you know? Yep. That was you. Yep. You know, you were like, I want to go see the Thieves Guild. And I'm like, oh, dude, the cleric is doing this. Not the rogue. Mm-hmm. The cleric. Mm-hmm. He's taking the rogue with him. Don't get me wrong. No, no. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was it was great. And it, it instantly had that had the, had the, the exact desired effect. Um, and the other thing, too, is I wanted to get away from kind of the, the video gamey feel that D&D has. Yeah, that that tactical edge at the same time, the the lack of death, the lack of, of fear on that side as well. Yeah, you yeah, know? and and everything just kind of rolling into combat encounters and such. Yeah. So rolling into twelve second combat encounters. <laughs> um, now it is worth noting uh, for those of you who are savvy to both Savage Worlds and Elder Scrolls, there actually is an unofficial Savage Worlds Elder Scrolls conversion out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did look at it in great length and I discarded it out of hand. Why? Uh, so first off, I felt that it overcomplicated a lot of things. Like made it too crunchy? Um, Well, remember how I said that I wanted to keep the Dungeons and Dragons rules as close to core as possible. Mm -hmm. When I moved to Suede, I especially wanted to do that because even I was unfamiliar with the system at that point. Right, right. Um, and so I was going to be tripping myself up along with you guys, and that was not going to be fun for anybody. Yeah. Um, but the other thing too is that, uh, it looked like a lot of the rules, um, that they, they were putting in there were, uh, to emulate the video games as Mm -hmm. much as possible. And I was specifically doing this to get away from the video game you feel. Gotcha. I, 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 like, I don't think you need... You know, mechanics for, like, which school of magic does this come from? No, it's just just magic. Yeah. Just cast magic. If you're a mage, just cast magic, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't need five different schools, five different skills for it. No. Just do it. Oh, are you... Were you trained in a specific school? Well, that's your choice, then. Right. Well, the video games have, you know, different skills for destruction magic and conjuring... Well, okay, those are video games. Because they do. And they have to function like that so that they have gameplay and progression. This is Savage Worlds. Right. That's... Way too deep. Yeah. Way too much. You're doing too much. Yeah. So You're trying too hard, Bucko. All right. I'm going to diverge from this just briefly, though. Sure. Okay. So that's that's where we landed on the game system. 
Um, I didn't know where to put this in because it's part of my campaign, but it's not part of my campaign. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to get it out of the way here. Okay. What tools do I use at my table? I I think this is a, a good place to do it. I think one of the things that you didn't put in here, which I did already address, was you did use D&D Beyond when you were using yes. D uh, yes. when you started with 5th yes. edition. You're and I, I will say as a player, list. it was a huge benefit mm-hmm. uh, just to be able to have that because you were able to put the briefs in right in there for us to read, which is a right. great thing to have. Yep. Um, and you could see that week in and week out with just a simple link. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the campaign information was always there at your fingertips. You had access to all of the rules, all the spells very quickly. Everything was very linked. So if you if you needed to answer a question about a character sheet, you could easily pull up that character sheet, go to their spells, click on the spell, and see everything that they saw. Yeah, and and when we uh, when COVID hit and we were playing um, using Foundry VTT, mm-hmm. there were plugins that allowed yep. us to integrate not only our character sheets but also from a standpoint of uh, storyteller, I was able to pull like monster templates and stuff yep. of that into it with like just a couple clicks. Yeah, it. I think that alone, just being able to have and and. It's flat out, it's not just with Foundry. There's all kinds of ETTs out there that are 100% bound to it, which yes. is great. Yes. Um, and I, I feel that made a huge difference specifically for COVID, but just for also being able to move through the game a little easier and help the players of click. Oh, you're just going to click here on this and that helps you with that role so you don't have to fudge Abs- it some other way. Absolutely. We had our stumbling blocks with it, but most sure. of that I think was related to VTT directly mm-hmm. and and the few things that we ran into where it was different occasions with advantages or disadvantage and, and figuring out how to handle those roles and things like that with the plugins, but... And those nothing... one or two game sessions where D&D Beyond was down. <laughs> yeah, there was that. There yeah. was that. Because it was in demand. Yes. Um, And the cost related to it to make sure that you had all of the books you wanted to include... Was a was a thing as well. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. Is I'm 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 very much a like run it off of vanilla sort of sort of person. So yeah. like, I needed Volo's Guide to Monsters, and that was it, basically. I think. Well, and that's what I was saying was yeah. is that all of us then had access to it. Yeah, making yeah, yeah. our characters. Maybe. The content so, sharing was amazing. So that's where it was like, oh, I need to borrow the player's handbook from the DM so I can look at my class. You don't have to. It's right there. You're part of the campaign. Yeah. So I think. That right there gave a benefit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that, absolutely. that is kind of immeasurable in a lot of ways that you don't see in other just base character creators. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even put it on my list as a tool, so that shows you just how for granted I took it. Well, not only that, but also how long ago it was. Well, that's also true. You yeah. haven't touched it in a while. That's also true. Yeah. Like, I, I look back at it because I use it still for mine. Mm-hmm. And it's it's invaluable for me for that reason, and yep. the little things they're doing to it is great. Yep. So, but you were speaking of Evernote. Uh, yeah. So, um, for for my note taking and campaign organization and stuff like that, uh, I use Evernote. Um, uh, it's a lot like OneNote if you're a uh, Microsoft user. Um, and uh, basically, it's just a uh, you can categorize things into notepads and um. Uh, tag things with, you know, keywords and whatnot and search by those tags, uh, to organize things. But it doesn't have, like, the sort of robust, um, uh, sort of, like, you know, character and location and map and stuff like that that you would find in something like, um, World Anvil or Campfire Blaze. Yeah, which I, I've looked at both of those in passing, but I feel like they're almost too much. Yeah, I uh, I actually did start trying to convert my stuff over to Campfire Blaze. Mm, okay. Um, and I got just so far into it, and then I was like, this seems like a, like I'm I'm putting in a lot of work for for little payoff. Like, yeah. 
Evernote is kind of already doing what I need, mm-hmm. and my campaign structure is loose enough that um, I don't need all this cross-linked, super detailed information. You know, I kind of know who my characters are and what's going on, and I write each session in response to the last before it, so I don't really need a lot of, like, forward planning on things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll get to, I'll get to how I write mm-hmm. in the future. But it was suffice to say Evernote was kind of doing it for me. Yeah. The big thing I like about Evernote is the portability. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I pay for a subscription so I can, I've got it on my phone. Mm-hmm. I've got it on my tablet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is accessible through the web mm-hmm. at evernote.com. And yeah. you can just pull up your account and it's got all of your stuff online yep. on the cloud right there. So. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty exportable from what I remember correctly. You can pull your data down pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, so. it's 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 really it's it's very convenient, very convenient, very portable. Um, yeah. So, uh, in in Evernote, what does a, a typical session yeah look like to yeah. me? Um, so I uh, I generally write uh, at the very top of my session. Um, I will give it a the session number and uh, um, a title. I always title my sessions like they're episodes of a TV show. Um, just because it generally uh, it helps me keep in mind um, the feel that I'm going for, like what's the major mm-hmm. thrust of that particular story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just fun sometimes. Yeah, well, anything that could put a smile on your face when you're frustrated and you have to do something, yeah. always helps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the very first thing I write is my ma- I, I, uh, are my God, major I just, beats. I just made DMing sound terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's work sometimes. It's it work sometimes. Work. It is work. Um, so anyways, I, uh, the first thing I put on there is major beats. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the major like story beats, encounters and hard moves that I have planned for the session. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, like, uh, when you went to go talk to Meridia, mm-hmm. like I had, okay, uh, talk to Meridia. Um, there was the, the, the getting your door kicked in, mm-hmm. um, scene. There was the cult, mm-hmm. uh, where they gave you the sword. Um, there was the flower shop. Mm-hmm. Um, those were like the major beats. Mm-hmm. And other than that, like whatever else was going to happen happens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we make it through all the major beats. Sometimes, sometimes we don't. We don't yep. And those just get moved on to the next sheet, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but I basically plan my next handful of events. Right. Um, I don't really ever plan farther than that though. And yep. we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to that in a, in a, in a bit. Um, the next thing I do is my previous session recap. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of every game, I put on the Elder Scrolls theme, yep. and I and I begin reading the recap. Uh, these are facts yes. about what happened last session. This happened. You discovered this. You know this truth. character did this. This villain did this. Mm-hmm. And here you are. Once that's done, mm-hmm. and it leads directly into present moment in the game. I have my in-game intro, and I write this all out. I begin with the date in Tamriel's calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tirdos, third day of mid-year, mm-hmm. fourth era, or third era, 415. That's wonderful. Um, and then a flowery bit of narration, just to kind of set the stage of the opening of the thing. Um, and this is where I do, like, put on my literary chops. Like I'm, ri- almost like I'm, like I'm writing a book sort of thing. Yep. Um, Below that, then, uh, basically the details of any sort of major NPC that I've got planned for the session. Um, if I've got you, if the villain is showing up, I'll have the villain stats there. Any special abilities they've got, I've got detailed there. Um, 
when you talked to Meridia, mm-hmm. uh, I had like a lot of her dialogue lines written out mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't have to try to think like a Daedric prince on the fly. Right, right. Um, and I just thought of a lot of common questions you might ask her mm-hmm. and had those answered. I wrote, I basically wrote a Meridia's FAQ. Right. Um, uh, let's see here. Details on any of the major beats, um, that need to have sort of a complex notation like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is if then statements. Yeah. If you guys do this, then I'm going to respond like this. But right. if it's this, I respond like this. Because I don't know. Yep. You guys throw me curveballs all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're going, like, into a village or something like that, I've got a list of uh, the name, race, gender, occupation, and demeanor of possible NPCs mm-hmm. that you might run into. Um, especially, like, like, say, if you're going into, a, like, a new village or something like that, you might want to go to the inn. You might want to go to see the blacksmith, talk to the mayor, do some shopping, something like that. Um, I need to have shopkeepers i need to have an innkeeper i need to have the mayor you know so i'll just jot them down and then i can just role play them on the fly um and that's basically it that's that's a typical you know sheet of notes for me and when i when i listen to that again it's not very different from what i do but i'll I'll be breaking mine down later Mm -hmm. uh in july i think uh but it's the framing that you're talking about again is not a novel a novel it's not novella you're yeah. you're literally preparing for if if comes and you're making sure that you're comfortable now one of the things that i that i love having that i love that you put in there and that you talk about is the fact that it isn't so much what's there it's what isn't there you're not going into a piece by piece combat situation yeah yeah which often has to happen and that that's not the if then statements right, that you're worried right. about and that that is a huge pullback from the tactical edge mm-hmm. you know you're literally you're, you're writing down if then questions and FAQ information whatever happens otherwise happens you might have an encounter with goblins mm-hmm. and you might write like five goblins are hanging out at the uh at at the shrine yeah and literally in my notes, it just says if they go in this room, five X goblins, and especially like in my D and D Beyond days, mm-hmm. that that was a hyperlink to the goblin yeah. monster that's page. It. That's it. Yeah. And I think that's the key behind those kinds of encounters is you're not planning out the encounter, right? And I right. see so many people planning out encounters more about the combat side of things rather than the narrative side. And again, I'm not saying that D&D isn't meant to be a tactical game played that way and you're building encounters like it's a video game. Oh, it is. Do it. It is, If yeah. that's if that's your thing. But yeah. there should be some narrative there if you're going to do role-playing. Right, right, right. That That's my whole thing. That That's where I'm at with it. So I, I, I can appreciate that direction. Uh, all right, so so real quick, um, other other tools I use uh, a GM screen, mm-hmm. um, less because I'm trying to hide things from my players, yeah, more because it's a great um, foldout with a bunch of quick reference rules on it. Yeah, um, I actually roll my dice in the open now. You I very set, much do. I set my my dice tray in front of you guys and roll there. Mm-hmm. Um, no secrets for my players. I feel like that uh, fosters the GM versus player mentality. One hundred percent. I don't give a crap if you guys see what my dice are. You, you should. Be able to rejoice and and, mm-hmm. and feel the woe of my dice. Yep. Exactly as I do. Yep. Um, I like to keep around NPC cards. This is something we've gotten into the habit of doing uh, very recently. It's wonderful. It's a it's a great add on. Uh, and I've we've we've kind of worked together. Um, uh, I I did it and then you iterated on it and I loved what you did with your iteration. So that's what I'm working with now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically we we do the uh, the AI 
generated uh, faces mm-hmm. for our NPCs. Just a quick, like, their name, their occupation, a quick blurb about what their goals and attitudes and appearance are and stuff like that, the, like where they fit in the story. And any truths. Yeah. Things that the players will know the moment that you hand that card to them. Like, I handed a card to uh, this last game uh, for an NPC that uh, one of the characters ran into that had extra information on it. Mm-hmm. But it was information that he would know. Without a doubt, at the end of that scene, he would be he would understand that it was fact, mm-hmm. and that's that was where I was coming from. Was that I never wanted it to feel like I was making them trying to remember something secretive about somebody because it's very important, or it's something that is that is important about that character. Like I wanted you to be able to a know the know the names and how they're said. Mm-hmm. Just as well as I can try and say them. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you have an image to look at. You have a feeling out of it, and it's definitely improved the game. Being I think able for to both put of us, a name to a face it's and a huge just thing. show just show a headshot is does such amazing jobs for getting people to actualize your NPCs and yeah, yeah, especially the important ones. And and what I what, how I really kind of knew that that this was working great was when you guys started dropping their names in casual conversation at the table. Yeah. On, like, the second time you met them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, they'd have been mispronouncing this for months if I hadn't given them yep, this, you know? exactly, exactly. Um, uh, minis you, and terrain. You love your terrain. Uh, you love I, your terrain. This is my big thing. Um, this is where I bring my two hobbies together. Uh, I've been painting minis uh, since basically high school. Mm-hmm. It shows. Um, I have a whole room in my house dedicated to it. Uh, I'd better use it. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of expensive tools, and uh, I, I, I want to use them. Yes. And so... Uh, I, I I go all out trying to make uh, interesting interesting train 3D printing fun minis and stuff like that for you guys. Always have painted minis on the table for you. Always do. Always scene, do. So. Even with suede, which is wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's one of the things I, I I liked about suede was that the combat felt very familiar, but mm-hmm. quicker, quicker than D and D's combat. Yes. And so I still got to use all the minis in the train and stuff like that. So yes. Um and Spotify. Yeah, you do use it pretty heavily. Uh, I started off with a critical role playlist mm-hmm. um, because they they employed a lot of music uh, from the very beginning, background music. Um, and then I added in a lot of my own game music, um, Elder Scrolls soundtracks, obviously, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm Elder Scrolls. Yeah. Um, Darkest Dungeon, I thought, had some really great music. Yeah. Um, and then Final Fantasy Tactics was one of my favorite games ever, and I poured a lot of that playlist into my combat. Uh, playlists. Yeah, and and you could I could tell when you were really enjoying it. One of the things that you pulled together for one of the scenes, uh, you were so excited about the music. Yeah, and you explained what the scenario was. It was actually from Bloodborne. From. Yeah, and you were so happy to bring that to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, and have that that visual going with it, and that 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 cracked that in my mind of like, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and so I got playlists, uh, for, for a lot of different things like boss fights versus regular fights. Like the super intense, like dark souls music comes out for the boss fights, but you don't need that for the hook of regular fight, cleaning up some rumpties, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've got some more tactical music for that. Um, tension or mystery. I've even got playlists for just peaceful, just chilling around. I've got one for planning scenes that mm-hmm. kind of sounds like military, you know, like we're in the war room sort of stuff. Um, etc. But, uh, just having that handy is a great tool to have going in. I've got a little USB, uh, or sorry, a Bluetooth speaker mm-hmm. that I set up and just uh, broadcast off my phone. Yep, very much so. So, all of that laid out. All right, we've so got those tools. are the tools. We've got the tools. We've got the system. <laughs> so how do I we've execute? <laughs> well, what the real question is, what was your goal stepping into this? Like, d- 
what was your I, I a lot of times people will come up with like almost a mission statement yeah sure, sure. um i've seen this happen with a lot of storytellers uh, as they come through and i think it's a good idea to try and remember why you wanted to run that in the first place you know granted you have your idea and you want to get your idea out but at the same time you kind of want to see where things go with players for you i know a lot of it was i want to see something different in this world yeah but yeah what did you want to see uh well Okay, so I, I was kind of aiming for um, a weird middle ground that's a little difficult to get, especially with something like Dungeons and & Dragons, mm-hmm. um, and that is that, like, suitably heroic without becoming gods. Hmm, that is super hard. Um, like, I want you guys to, you know, be able to go places, see the world, fight different types of enemies, you know, and have these heroic moments mm-hmm. that felt epic, but still kind of grounded in a sort of reality or verisimilitude, you know, where... Mm-hmm. Um, where at the end of the day, you were still people. Yeah. And you were still, uh, you know, humanoid. You were still men or mer that, 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 that just, um, were still part of society mm-hmm. and had to account, you know, uh, be held accountable by the same rules and laws and, and, and structures that, that govern society and stuff like that. You know? Right, right. Um, and, uh, I didn't want you guys ever to get to the point where you were, like, felt able to challenge a Daedric prince to a fist fight, you know? Yeah. I mean, we were – I think we were always suitably concerned about our existence. Mm-hmm. We weren't feeling like we were gods, but at the same time, we spit in a few gods' faces. Well, no. You, to a degree? No. You <laughs> crossed paths with one – who was watching one of his artifacts do a very interesting and fun thing. Right, right. And you guys kind of came in and interfered with that. Right. Um but you didn't you didn't really cross him directly. And uh what I'm talking about is like post level 15 like I think what they call tier 4 D&D. Yeah. You know, where uh you can literally just go fight Tiamat. Yeah. And and have a chance. And have a chance. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I I didn't I didn't want it to ever get to that level you know right right um i'm a big fan of the zero to hero story mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the tropes that i love the most and so i think um i always wanted you guys to feel a little grounded mm-hmm. um in remembering your roots so that you could see a small person accomplishing a big thing you know okay um Stopping a moving train is trivial for Superman. Right. Stopping sure. a moving train for a normal person is a godlike feat. I agree. That, that is that is memorable and heroic. Okay. You know, and and that's that's kind of what I wanted. Okay. Was I never wanted you guys to feel like Superman because it cheapens everything when you're Superman. So, how much of it was fan service to to Elder Scrolls itself? Oh, I mean, there's there's a lot of it, like. <laughs> Because Sean loves it, Matt loves it, you love it. Oh, yeah. You wanted yeah. to show that love it. Like, well, I love 7C. I show a lot of love yeah. in my games for it. I so. mean, look, if you're going to run an Elder Scrolls game, there there are set pieces you have to drop in there. Right. You know, there, there's things that have to happen to make it feel like Elder Scrolls. Right. You know, first off, Daedric involvement everywhere. Right. The Daedric are constantly meddling. People are constantly making weird-ass pacts with them, et cetera, et cetera. So you guys really have to have, like, you just have to have Daedra involved mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Meridia's Beacon is just iconic. It's in every I had, game. I had to throw it in there. You were playing a cleric. You were the obvious target for yeah, it. So true. I threw it in and just said, mm, I don't know, see, let's see, let's see what happens. Yeah, I deliberately did everything in my power to play it off. Like, my character had no idea what the heck this thing mm-hmm. was. 
Uh, and, and like, I've played Skyrim. I've played other games. I, I remember Murdia's Beacon and how they were portrayed in those games, and I'm like, let's see where this goes. Yep. Like, I just wanted to lightly play it and see where it went. Um, there's gotta be an Elder Scroll in there somewhere. Yeah. It hasn't come up yet in game. No, it is not. But I've got a place where I want it. Okay. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's in future, future plot if and when things get there. Yep. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see where that piece needs to move to intersect with you guys. You got your iconic monsters? Uh, yep. Uh, your, like your Daedra, your vampires, your trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you didn't, you didn't get in the way of the draw, uh, the draw. No, um, but yeah. uh, but they're but they're out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know things like that. I've got minis for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also kind of wanted to, you know, globe trotting around to recognizable locations. You know, mm-hmm. um, major cities in Cyrodiil and beyond. You know, uh, it was great with you guys being in Skingrad right now, uh, being able to describe seeing the uh, the white gold tower mm-hmm. uh, piercing the skyline, mm-hmm. um, visible from miles away. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in just seeing the Imperial City from there glistening in the sunlight. Um, and eventually you guys got to make a trek, trek to Oblivion. That's that's mandatory stop on uh, on any Elder Scrolls game. You guys got to leave Mundus and go to Oblivion somewhere. Now, are you ashamed of any of this fan service or do you, you regret any of it? Absolutely not. Okay. No, it's it's completely shameless. Okay. Completely shameless fan service. Yes. So that all being said, all right, we all technically right. had two session zeros. Yeah, yeah, we had one for each game. We did. One, we did. one for each game system, yeah. Now, the the first Session Zero, uh, you had uh, myself and Vicky. Mm-hmm. Sean was there. Yep. Uh, Erica. And then we had uh, another player who was there as well. Yeah, a, a friend from a LARP we used to play in. Mm-hmm. Um, who I hadn't seen in years at that point. Probably yeah, ev- a half a decade at least. Everybody at the table had uh had met this person before. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I, I primarily knew them from LARP, but I was friends with them online and stuff like that, so I would banter with them on, on Facebook when that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um but uh uh this particular friend of uh of mine was uh was black and I remember talking to them a lot about representation of black people in games, um and mentioning that uh he wanted to play a Red Guard in an Elder Scrolls game because they were so cool in that setting and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know. And um, so then when I, I had this idea to run an Elder Scrolls game, it was kind of an obvious thing for me. I was like, I need to invite this person so mm-hmm. I can do something good with my game and give him a good a good moment of representation in a game world where he'll be, he'll be happy to feel, you know, playing that sort of character that he's always wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we quickly realized that we had some pretty big personality conflicts and not only between he and I, but also the group in yeah. general. And, uh, unfortunately after a, a couple game sessions, I had to ask him not to come back. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would have to say a few of the, um, player ethical things of, of like timeliness, uh, tardiness, energy levels. Were well, also I, a I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it. That's... Right. But we had, we have discussed it in the past, but yeah. it, it was, it was not a, a, a painful party. And the, the person was replaced mm-hmm. later on with the, the Mad Elf. With the Mad Elf. Which, yeah. funny enough, showed up. Coincidentally, uh, <laughs> yeah. so he's an old gaming buddy of ours. Yes. And, uh, had been, uh, uh, out of the country for, what, five years or so at this point? I think so at that point. Some, somewhere around five years, plus or minus. Um, Too many years. Had uh, just recently returned mm-hmm. uh, to the area and was kind of getting set up and... Itching to play a game. Itching to play a game because it had been that long, basically. They were yeah. very isolated. He was very isolated with where he was. So mm-hmm. uh, we basically welcomed him home by mm-hmm. getting him right into not only a D&D game, but a D&D game set in one of his favorite universes, the Elder Scrolls universe. Yes, and, uh, yes. 
Uh, I asked him, like, can, do you have a character concept? He's like, I have too many character concepts. And I yeah. was like, oh, that's so good to hear. Yes, yes. Uh, and then uh, shortly thereafter, we actually added a sixth player to round out mm-hmm. the group, which I was a little hesitant to go six because that, that is a lot for a Dean. Well, it's a lot for any role-playing group. It is, but, it is. Um, I'd say it's about the upper limit of where I'm willing to go. Yeah. Um, but you you said uh, this, this particular person was uh, a really good friend of yours. I wasn't so familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, one thing I have learned about you over the years is that if you say someone is good people, they are good people. Mm-hmm. Um, you are an excellent judge of, of character. So when you were like, 100% this person fits in our group, invite them. And I was like, okay, I will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we invited Steve. And yeah. uh, it was uh, honestly the best suggestion ever. He mm-hmm. rounds out the group perfectly. Um, and uh, I am so glad to get to know him better. Uh, and I, I honestly, I just have the greatest gaming group at my table. No, it's, it, it is a very good group. We fit together really well, even when we grind its characters grinding. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in more yeah. ways than not. And it's, it's nice. It's nice. And I, I definitely think Suede has helped us get back to narrative mm-hmm. fun and, and, and interaction. And, uh, one of my favorite parts is always hearing how each player usually has another player that they're watching. Yeah. Almost like a show. Yeah. Like Steve loves watching Sean. Uh huh. Every game. Yeah. Like just waits for the moment that he is going to laugh his butt off about this. He's, yes. And, and that makes it feel more like a living drama. Mm-hmm. And that's fun. And then everybody at the table is part of the show and part of the audience. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it's great because I'm, I'm big fans of my, of my players and my characters, but also my players are big fans of my other players. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's always such a great dynamic to have at your table, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your setting. So setting, yeah. This, uh, we're gonna get. This is kind of a big piece to it, because it is all about the Elder Scrolls setting itself. But it's your part of the Elder Scrolls setting, right? And that's that's kind of what like that was one of the big complications um, when uh, originally writing this because uh, it literally spans thousands. Yeah, I was of to years. say the timeline's huge. Um, I mean, if you just well, sir, I mean, first off, we're in the the third. Actually, technically, if you're going by the video games, you're in the f- fourth era, two fifty or something like that. I think that's where when, the the MMO. Oh, it's when Skyrim when set. Skyrim is Skyrim set. set. Yeah. yeah, Skyrim is set in the fourth era, uh, like two hundred and fifty years into the fourth era. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Oblivion takes place. Um, Oblivion is where the third era ends and the fourth begins. Right, right. Um, and that's uh, like third era four fifty or something like sure. that. Okay, so again, two hundred and fifty years there. All right, mm-hmm. um, you go all the way back to like Arena, which I think takes place in like uh, third era four oh seven or something. Right. Right. Um, and then Daggerfall takes place shortly after in, like, 410. Yeah. Um, so right there, you're spanning, like, 300 years between the the four or the, the five main games. Right. And then you take Elder Scrolls Online, it actually takes place, like, 800 years prior yeah. in the, like, the juicy end of the second era. Yeah. Uh, like, second era 200-something, 258, I think it is. Right. Um, in the middle of the Interregnum, which is just something you kind of read about in the other, in the main Elder Scrolls game. Right. You know? Um, and even before that, like that's second era. There's a whole first era that's yeah. just written in history books that they don't even have a game set in, but a bunch of stuff happens. You yeah. Know? And what's interesting about all of that is that each one of these eras has these breaks in them that messes with reality 
in, yeah. in multiple ways so, be, so that the games can happen. So that so that multiple endings of the game can be all canon simultaneously. Even if they're mutually exclusive, they're called Dragon Breaks. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's wild. It's, it's a neat thing, but th- it still helps paint the picture of the vast scape that is this world. Yes. So that you're never – how can I put it? You're never looking at a static place. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the ever-changing elements of Cyrodiil that has ruins from this game that are part of this game. Yeah, yeah. You know, which I love. I, yeah. lo- I love seeing that kind of stuff. If you could leave – because uh, – was it how, – how did they put it? When they were talking about the expansions uh, into – of of the online game, which is the technically the past, mm-hmm. now starting to press into – when it pressed into Skyrim. yeah. They had to match up certain aspects, but not everything, because yeah. it's the there, past. Because there's like uh, 1,200 years between Elder Scrolls right. Online and Skyrim, yeah. But there were still pieces there. Sure, sure. Better looking than they were. What What is a ruins ridden with bandits in Skyrim is a thriving town Community. in, yeah. you know, a, a whole fortress, you know, fully staffed and armed. Exactly. Um, so picking, picking my particular spot in this expansive world and going, this is where I'm planting my flag was a bit of a job. It took a lot of thought putting mm-hmm. into it. Um, and so, uh, I would carefully pour it over a lot of the lore and what I was looking for was, uh, where, where I ended up going was third era 415. Mm-hmm. Um, and that number probably doesn't mean anything to 99% of you, but yep. uh, it's right between Daggerfall and Morrowind, Elder Scrolls mm-hmm. 2 and Elder Scrolls 3. Um, at that moment in, in history, Tamriel is relatively at peace. Mm-hmm. There's no major, like, end-of-the-world plots unfolding or anything like that, at least overtly. There's some stuff that's starting to brew in Morrowind, but nothing that's like, you know, you guys would ever be able to interact with. It hasn't right. hit full swing yet. Um Everybody's united under uh, the Emperor of Cyrodiil, mm-hmm. um, Uriel Septim the Seventh, mm-hmm. and it's a nice little flat stretch of road. Yeah, that I could plant my own flag on. And you also narrowed the scope down for us as well on, on the general space that we were going to be in. Right, right. So um, I also had to find a location, not just mm-hmm. a time. Um, and so I chose uh, specifically the town of Anvil. Mm-hmm. On the uh, the west coast of Cyrodiil. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason I did that, uh, so Cyrodiil is a central province. Um, and that makes it kind of a melting pot where a lot of races come to seek opportunity and stuff like that. Um, it's not really far from anywhere else in Tamriel. Mm-hmm. And that basically means that any character concept you guys brought to me was on the table. Yep. You know, if... If we had gone to, like, Skyrim, you guys would feel compelled to be like, well, I guess we kind of have to play Nords because we're in Skyrim. No. But I understand why you think that. So I went with Cyrodiil so that you'd be like, well, can I play a Khajiit? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And any Anybody could just uh, – you're like a hop, a skip, and a jump away from Cyrodiil at any point from Tamriel. Yeah, whether you're Argonian, whether you're Khajiit, whether you're a Redguard, whether you're anything. Exactly, exactly. Um, Now, also, uh, Cyrodiil is a, uh, a human province – um, and so the culture and the architecture is vaguely Roman mm-hmm. in nature. It's going to be eagle- easily recognizable to you guys without having to, like, describe weird stuff. Like, if I had set this in Morrowind where they, like, build castles out of mushrooms and giant crab shells, um, that would have taken a lot more imagination on your part, a lot more suspension of disbelief, and you guys would have felt 
very much on your back foot whenever I was trying to describe something. Yeah. But when, like, in Seer Delocking, to be like, it's a castle, and you know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, likewise, uh, Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion takes place in Cyrodiil. So if you guys wanted, there's actually reference shots of a lot of the different places mm-hmm. that you could, you or any of us could easily look up. And also, uh, we're not far time-wise from it either, like 35 years away from it or something. So a lot of the lore and stuff of like that is still very relevant if you looked it up online. And then the other thing that you did that I think really helped us was that you kind of gave us roles by giving us basically one of two choices. Yeah. We, um, we could either be part of the Mage's Guild or the Fighter's Guild, which mm-hmm. are heavily part of the game. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, Sorry, part of the Elder Scrolls universe yeah. and and of that space. End of the game. Right, sure. Um, yeah, I, I did this on purpose because I wanted you guys to uh, – I, I really dislike the whole like, oh, we're adventurers um, and uh, we met in a tavern and just decided to – form a group it's it always feels very forced to me and stuff of that right but like when you've got a mages guild and a fighters guild and typically those buildings are like right next to each other and they they are in anvil mm-hmm. like right on the mage main drag they're literally adjacent to each other um they're great in-game excuses to be adventurers that are part of a professional organization you know mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to hand Mage's Guild members uh, mage-like quests and have a leader be like, this is something you need to go do. Go see to this. Mm-hmm. You've been hired for this job. Go do it. Mm-hmm. It's it's instant plot hook for me. Yep. Um, and it gives me a great reason to be like, you guys are working together now. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was just a, a very convenient setup yep. to, to get the group all together and, and, and on the same path. Yes. Uh, but it also, I think still allowed us to have, in the case of 4th edition, or 5th edition, whatever class we wanted, because that that allowed it to fit in either one of the categories. Yeah, yeah, and even, like, your your character kind of fit in a weird category, because you picked Cleric, which is technically like a caster class, but mm-hmm. you remember the Fighters Guild. Yeah, because um, I went as a military caster. You took the soldier background. Yeah. And, which which allowed you to basically be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I cast some battle magic, but yeah, no, I'm definitely a fighter. Like, I'm a, I'm an old soldier. Let's go mm-hmm. do this, you know? Yeah. Get, get my, get my the mace medic. and my shield. Let's yeah. go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the fun. Um, but then you, you opened things up lightly. You mm-hmm. opened us with a milk run and then stepped on from there. And I think that it gave us a, a very quick taste of what the world, what your view of Elder Scrolls and this world was going to feel like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, structuring the story is um, a big important part of how I'm trying to unfold this campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, the first step to, uh, to all this is always a milk run for mm-hmm. me. Um, it's always just to do a simple job, go out. There's, I don't know, there's goblins in some ruins. Go scavenge them for some random magical artifact or something like that. Bring back anything you find. It's not not really important. Right. Um, it gave you guys a job to do. It gave you a little bit of combat to get a feel for your characters, get a feel for the system, get a feel for each other, um, get a feel for the world. Mm-hmm. But ultimately what you're doing in this milk run is not part of the save the world plot. It's just it's just a random task. It may have some longer plot implications. Mm-hmm. But in and of itself, it's it's just it's just the first step. Um, I actually did two of those. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I did one when we very first started the campaign, the very first session, yep. actually the first two sessions because it went over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when the Mad Elf and uh, and Steve joined, uh, I went back and did another milk run specifically for the purpose of we've got new people in the group. Let's get to know them. I honestly loved that and I did recognize it. Yeah. The other thing that I recognized was there's a certain sense of doing that at the beginning of each act. Mm-hmm. And that helps. That kind of just – it's a palate cleanser to a degree. Yeah. And I, yeah. I like those concepts. I like that that simple, direct, like, oh, God, we just got done with this thing. Now where do we go next? You want to do something simple? Yeah, let's do this thing. You yeah. know, and it's 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 that light thing that, that brings uh, brings you back to where you are. Yeah, and I, I think that's 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 an important part of my structure and pacing too. Mm-hmm. Um so I do have three acts planned mm-hmm. in this uh, in this session. You guys have finished act one mm-hmm. and you are kind of between you're in an interlude right now. Um doing the whole uh the whole vampire hunting in in, in uh in Skingrad thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then once you're done with that you will be moving into act two mm-hmm. and there will be a bit of a time jump um, mm-hmm. because what I don't want to happen, what I don't like in a lot of tabletop role playing games is you always have this like the world is going to end. Go, 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 go. It's, it's super pressure. Every, every moment counts. You must, you know, I don't like that. Like no. sometimes you just, sometimes you just have a week or two or, or a month or two where you just, you know, you're taking an odd job here and there. Nothing really happens. Hey buddy, what's new? Nothing. What's new? What's new with you? Went to a new restaurant the other day. It was good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I feel like role playing games need that. Mm-hmm. And so having these kind of time jumps, these times of work, uh, to to ease the tension, these pressure valves between acts is very valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, so Act One was an ex- a major external threat. Um, there was a villain out in the world. That you needed to go and defeat and stuff of like that, um, but you started at home, which was safe. You ventured out to where it was dangerous, mm-hmm. and you made that place safe from the villain. And now you've returned home. Yep. Um, act two is going to be a transition, kind of back to home. Okay. Um, you've returned the conquering heroes from Act one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're now kind of revered in that setting because mm-hmm. you've done a heroic act. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's going to be threats or hints of a new threat that is emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, but this act is going to be a lot more about the tension and intrigue and setting up Act 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we're not there yet, so I can't go into a lot of details. But right. um, 2, I expect to be – to feel very transitional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with a hard move uh, that I might liken to the uh, iceberg – interjecting itself into the story of the Titanic. Sure. We will begin Act 3. Yep. And that is an internal threat that suddenly makes home feel different. Right. And you will need to do something about it. Yep. And that's it. That's that's my plan. Um I've got I've got those hard moves planned out mm-hmm. so I know generally where the plot is going to um maneuver itself. Mhm. But I have no idea. I don't have any that, like, quote unquote, written. Right. You know, um, I don't know how you guys are going to deal with what happens in Act Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if you will deal with the thing that happens in Act Three, or if you'll just decide, you know what, that's none of our business, and we're going to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. 
we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but I can't write any of it yet. I was unaware that there was a bridge in Elsewhere. There's lots of bridges in Elsewhere. Yeah, okay. Cats be... don't like running water. Ah, that's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, I've, I've got it basically sketched out. Um, and that's, sketching out is a lot of what I do. Yeah, and it, that light framing, that mm -hmm. knowing your, knowing your villain, knowing your, your gray characters, knowing their motivations, I think is what's most obvious from my, my end is that you always know the direction they're heading. Mm -hmm. And so that everyone who's around them is aware of it as well. Yes, yes. It is. There's no mysteries. If someone were to talk to someone involved in those areas who's directly affected, they know. Yeah. They, they just this, can't do anything about it. This person is trying to do this thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, so like, you know, for, for instance, like, as far as far as sketching out the plot goes and just allowing for all that room for player agency goes, mm -hmm. like, act one was basically just, there's a bandit who found a magic crown. He put it on and became a bandit king. But the crown cursed him with megalomaniacal, megalomaniacal delusions. There you I go. Did it. You did well. Of grandeur, and he thought he could conquer all of Cyrodiil. Things got out of hand from there, and that's basically it. Yeah. Like I obviously I put a lot of detail into how his bandit kingdom worked, mm -hmm. um, how his plans were, or, and what his, what his plans were, how he was enacting some of them. Some of those things were some of those details were pretty intricate, mm -hmm. but they were intricate in. Here's a detail of how this thing works, not here's what's going to happen. Because I didn't know what was going to happen, mm -mm. you know. I had to know how it worked, so when you interacted with it, I knew how it moved. Right. And that's that's how I write things. Right. You write obstacles, you don't write scenes. Right. Um, and so when your players get there, there's something to overcome and they can overcome it whenever way they want because you haven't written how they overcome it. Right. It's not a novel. It's exactly. It's not a novel. It's just a hurdle. And they can jump over it. They can knock it over. They can walk around it. But it's a hurdle and it's in their way. You know? Mm -hmm. And you let them tell that story. So, uh, because every time you, you write down the words, players will fight this thing and find X afterwards, your asshole players will decide not to fight the thing. And now you've <laughs> got to bring it a totally different way. Like for, one of the great examples is when I tried to put a ghost in there. Yeah. And the ghost was like an angry spirit of a murdered man. And he was like, I want to go and seek vengeance on the person who murdered me. And I expected you guys to go like, oh, no, 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 we can't let you seek vengeance. Vengeance is horrible. We can't let you return a murder with another murder. That would be bad. We'll go seek justice for you. Instead, what you guys said was, okay, come on. That guy's a dick. Let's <laughs> go do this. That guy's a jerk. Let's go kill him. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, caught me completely off guard, and I, yeah. I, I, I eased up on my expectations a lot from there because yeah. I realized that nothing was going to go as planned. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's the kind of things you learn from your players. Mm -hmm. Like there are times when your players are going to want a very tactical game. They're going to want a lot of combat. They're going to want to have you plan challenges because they're kind of grinding against your stone mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you're sharpening them the whole way to blunt them against the next thing so they can sharpen again you know but other times they'll just surprise you with how witty they are at working around your plot yeah yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. And I think, especially since of, uh, we've moved to Savage Worlds, we've given a lot more room mm-hmm. and latitude to work through things in different ways other than combat. And so I have to be extra special on, you know, prepared for the, for that sort of thing. But so. I think even the getting us through that initial story gave you that edge to go, oh, okay, I need to just... Oh, sure. Have a motivation. Sure. It's, it's learning your caliber just as much as you're learning mine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, um, um, and you're not even getting into personal plots or, or, or other edges. Like, oh. where does it step away from this framework and that you start to incorporate those things? Uh, well, see, I, this is kind of where I like to have the act structure and where, where I kind of incorporate a lot of the downtime between my major acts. Mm-hmm. Like, it can't always be save the world plot. Uh, it's it's just too much tension, and so when you've got these downtimes of like, okay, we we defeated the Poppy King, like, cool, sure. let's come home. What do we do now? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing going on. We defeated the Poppy King. That was like super huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, that's when you do have time to be like, oh, I don't know. I got this. I got Meridia's beacon. You guys gonna want to go see where this leads? Mm-hmm. And so out of character, then I actually talked to you guys and said like, okay, this is. We have a break now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to advance the the meta plot. I'm not going to move you on to Act Two until you guys feel ready to do that. Act Two can wait. Mm-hmm. the The world is not going to end. What do you guys want to do? I'm telling you right now. You know, right. Um, everybody kind of had a good talk about. Well, do you have a personal plot? Well, mine's really more of like a I want to go shopping sort of thing. Okay, well, it's not really plot. We can take care of it, but it's not really like. A thing we need to do, a story we need to tell. Right, right. Um, you had Meridia's beacon. You were like, "We could do this," and everybody went, "Yeah, sure, let's go." And so you did. Mm-hmm. And now that's where we're at right now. We're kind of at this Act One interlude. Um, if anybody else had spoken up and said they wanted to pursue their personal agendas or whatnot, I'd be writing plot for them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you guys are good and satisfied that. Your personal business is, is taken care of. We'll have another little bit of a time skip, and then Act 2 will begin, and you'll have more pressing external matters that are demanding your attention. Right. And then I figure probably after Act 2 ends, you may want to roll directly into Act 3. Mm-hmm. You may want to take care of some personal stuff. I don't know. We'll see where that goes. Yep. So... Um, and I also plan on making a little bit use of uh, Savage World's downtime rules. Um, which are actually really fun and very quick and easy. I um, do, I do really like them. Yeah. I, I, I like the ability, the ability, and that it is part of the system to have the players be active in the narration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that. I think that's fun. Uh, one of the other things too is that um, passage of time is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's always that I'm always deeply uncomfortable with uh, is that. Um, I think the calculation was that if you actually followed the adventuring day of a D&D character, you know, 13 encounters per day or something like that, and if you're like a full-time adventurer, assuming you adventure five out of seven days of the week or something like that, um, and you have the requisite number of encounters and they average to a certain amount of XP, etc., you go from level 1 to 20 in, I think, like two months or something. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what the exact calculation is, but that but it's very close to those for the, to those numbers. Yeah. And, like, when you look at the power curve of, like, you know, a level 17-plus character basically being able to challenge Tiamat, like a god, um, I did not want that. Yeah. I very much wanted a, a good long stretch of passage of time and stuff like that. So, 
um, that's another reason why I'm putting these, these downtime gaps between my acts is because sometimes stuff just doesn't happen and you have a season goes by and showing that season pass and having a change just in your environment, going from summer to autumn, autumn to winter, you know, and having snow where you used to have sweltering heat, um, changes the environment. It changes the feel of the story in those places, it makes a familiar location somewhat strange again mm-hmm. because you see it in a different light when it's covered with snow versus when it is sweltering hot. Right, right. Um, and that that's a big important thing. So I think like act one is spring into summer. Right now we're in the, 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 the end of summer, we're actually in like August basically. Um, and then act two will probably take place in the fall. Mm-hmm. Act three will probably take place during winter. Mm-hmm. And we'll see where the campaign goes from there. Very cool. Uh, so the rest of this is basically just kind of like little points of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure what to what to call these particular categories of some interesting things. Um, one of my big uh, goals is to flesh out my NPCs, make the world feel a lot more alive. I think um, you do a wonderful job of that. Thank you, thank you. Uh, it's it's. Uh, to me, having very rich NPCs that are they're just as vivid characters as you guys have come up with to interact with is important to making the world feel like it's 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 a living place that you exist in. Um, right, right. So for that, I've got the lucky ladies, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the sisters Fortunatus. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got like some weird love triangle stuff mm-hmm. going on between Mirabelle and Tulsi, and then the, uh, uh, another PC, uh, uh, Lyrilith. Mm-hmm. And then kind of wrapped into that is the Mad Elves PC, Tristan, mm-hmm. um, where there's like some weird drama going on between them. Uh, Rigar, uh, who is Steve's character, uh, our Nord warrior, um, and there's a Nord skald, a, uh, a bard um, named Balgruff that is there kind of as a juxtaposition for representatives of the Nord culture. Mm-hmm. And there's some real interesting interplay between the two of them. Yeah. Um, I've got something. I don't know if we can call it a romance yet, but there's definitely something going on between Lyrilith and uh, one of my NPCs, Vedran, uh, who is another another dark elf mm-hmm. from Morrowind. Um, and they're they're bonding on a certain level, and they're kind of getting familiar with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, your wife's character, Karu, mm-hmm. um, she kind of wrote her as a loner mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't talk a lot and kind of, uh, but. I've got some of my NPCs, specifically uh, Lyra Fortunatus, one of the lucky ladies, is kind of making friends with her. Mm-hmm. And we've seen her kind of come out of her shell a little bit, and that's really that's a really nice thing to see, like, with these NPCs interacting with them and, and changing the character as as, as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, really, like, uh, a lot of the, the parallels, uh, like, also, uh, actually, your character, um, and you've got an NPC named Deeksha mm-hmm. that... Uh, you see at the Temple of Debella, which is the, the goddess of pleasure, basically. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a, a bacchanal um, cult of Dionysus, sort of. Yeah. Cult of plenty, cult of enjoyment. Wine and food and kernel uh, pleasures, but not like in the raunchy way. Yeah. But but there's definitely like, you know, um, an air that the, the the more conservative might might consider like a like a sex temple basically. Almost. Yeah, yeah, and your character kind of hangs out there, even though that's not the god you follow, not in the least. Yeah, um, and there's there's something going on between you and Deeksha that hasn't really been revealed, but yeah, it's, 
Um, it, on the surface, it looks scandalous. It, from, from anyone watching me go there, uh, definitely has that edge. Uh, and our interactions have, even like a cross table conversation has been light. Yeah. You know, yep. it's, 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 there, there's never been a fade to black mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anything like that, which is, which, which keeps that mystery of like what's really going on there. And then so. the, w- one of the things that I'm very interested in is like the, the parallels between Sean's character Thalian, uh, and, uh, Vedrin, who's yes. the, the, the Telvanni ambassador, um, that, uh, uh, Lyrilith is, possibly involved with. Right, right. Um, and there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of parallels between the two of them, how they're both kind of like secretive offstandish magical researchers um, that we'll get more into in Act 2. It's going to become a lot more important in Act 2. I, I look at that every time I see the two of them interacting and I see the movie The Prestige. Yes! That's what I see. I see two magicians who kind of look at each other but don't quite marvel at the other person's situation but at the same time really wants to know how everything works yeah i would say that's very that's very they're, they're watching the, the machinations of each other it's a very accurate read on the situation so um but basically like all all of this stuff that i just that i just kind of detailed is important to have in the game for me because it's it's where it's where home feels like home yeah to you you know yeah. um and you guys love interacting with these npcs mm-hmm. uh we actually had um, a one shot kind of, or a three shot actually, it was a three three episode interlude that we did where you guys played some of these NPCs. Yeah, that's right. The main PCs got captured. Mm-hmm. This is kind of right at the beginning of the COVID sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we wrote up the NPCs as characters, and they went and go went to rescue you guys. So not only did you get to kind of take a break from your regular NPCs and go play uh, regular PCs, regular yeah. PCs, and go play go play some of these NPCs, but you guys kind of got an insight into them because you got to play them firsthand. Yeah, and give them a little extra flavor. Yeah, which I thought was neat. And I think the feedback I got on that was that it was it was nice for the length that it was three <laughs> episodes. You were glad to get back to your regular PCs. Yes. But it was fun for the diversion that it was. Yes. I think it fit nicely to be a diversion. Um, and I think if it was any longer, it would have started to get very frustrating. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I, I thought it was the perfect length. I thought it was, I thought it ended when it needed to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was glad to get back to our regular PCs. Um, but I'll tell you what, one of my biggest challenges too is, uh, man, playing the long game with some of these NPC plots is tough. Yeah. Because there's there is stuff going on with some of them, mm-hmm. and it's finding that little bit of like, how do I drop stuff in here in my interactions with the PCs that will hint at what's coming or at least progress what the plot with them that I want is without utterly tipping my hand or being too subtle and you guys not getting it. And seeing it coming, you know. I think that's one of the hardest things for anyone to do is is that and, – and, and the only thing that I could say to that is this. Those pieces should never need to be important to be put out. If they are discovered if, during their dissemination, great. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's a detail. Yeah. It's a fluff detail and you let things move on because if something will sit in the back of someone's head, it's like, wait a second, I do remember this. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the players who are on for that moment will remember it. And, and that's the beauty of those moments is that you can do that. The moment you try and force it mm-hmm. is the moment that the players latch onto it too tightly and it becomes kind of a red herring away from where you're currently at. Yeah, yeah. And and for 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 their credit though, I think uh, all of you guys have been very attentive to what's going on with the NPCs. Very much. There've so. been some really good reads on uh on things that I thought I was being super subtle about and you guys are like, "Oh, well they got this going on, so obviously they're going to do this." And I'm like, "Oh, well, hey, good for you guys." <laughs> you know, good. You picked up on that. Good. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um and that it shows it shows you're interested, and it shows that I'm doing a good job as a as a storyteller mm-hmm. in in bringing them to life enough that you'll want to engage with them. Right, right. Um, so a couple uh, troubles that I've had mm-hmm. uh, along the way, um, because you know, obviously, not, not everything is wine and roses at my table. Mm-hmm. No, no table is like that. There's thorns every time. Um, so uh, first and foremost, um, major NPC accidentally stole the name of my friend and Patreon veteran. You did. Because it just sounded good. It sounded like a perfect dark elf name. And so I was like, oh, yeah, Vedran Talvani, yeah. I'm sure I've heard Vedran somewhere, but I can't remember where it is. So his name is Vedran now. And then, uh, like, Discord. I think that night I saw him on Discord, and I was like, oh. Oh. Well, I've already introduced him to the group. I can't change him now. Yep. yep. Skirt, he's Vedran. Yep. All right. Um, handling some of the events has been difficult. Um, specifically back when we were uh, using Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yes. Uh, specifically Sean's character Thalian. Um, persuasion, suggestion, the actor feat, charm person, um, all of these things kind of causing tension because there's a... Uh, um, like, persuasion's not mind control, but at the same time, you also want the player to feel powerful and like they're... Like, he stacked his character to be a persuader, and he, you want that to feel powerful. He weaponized it. But he but he weaponized it, and I don't know that I dealt with it well, but I also think that he weaponized it, and, and that was uncomfortable to me. I, like, I don't know. It, it created a tricky situation. Yes. And so we had to have a lot of, like out-of-character discussions about, like, what his expectations are were as a player for what he wanted to get out of his character and those interactions and stuff like that, and what I could do as a storyteller to help him feel suitably heroic in those moments without him just being able to go, I rolled a 37 on a persuasion check, so they have to do what I tell them. Right. You know? Right. And, and I think that, in that regard, uh, D&D was a disservice to that player. Yeah, because that effectively in weaponizing something like charm, yeah, that's your to hit. Your 36 is to hit. Great. You definitely hit. You went way above the numbers. Great. Mm-hmm. You hit. It's it's not a critical weapon. Right, right, right. You're not murdering the person in one shot. But you know, but or, there were there were a lot of other yeah. factors in in play there and it, it like it just just to kind of Without going too far yeah. into it, it created some tension at the table, and it created some tension away from the table because I live with this person. Yeah, uh, where we got in some heated discussions. I wouldn't say we got into arguments, but there was definitely like sometimes the the other person was just going like, "You don't understand what I'm talking about." At the other person, and you know, it we talked through it, mm-hmm. and obviously we're all having fun at the game and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, you never want it to get to the point where 
your player is getting frustrated at your storyteller, your storyteller is getting frustrated at your player no. over yeah. over interpretations of the rules and stuff of like that because, you know, one person has an idea of what they want their character to be able to do, and the storyteller says, well, I'm not going to allow you to do that. Right. And then they feel like they've wasted their character because they designed them to be able to do this trick, and you're telling me I can't do the trick. Right. So, right. uh... That was, uh, and then obviously, um, the transition from the tabletop to, uh, online gaming was, uh, was a huge hurdle for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're back face to face. Thank you, modern science and vaccines. Um, but, uh, hoping we never have to go back to that because, uh. Forcefully at least. Well, at least forcefully, yeah. Um. Yeah, snow days happen. Uh, so other trouble, um, uh, encounter balance is something I'm actually very bad at in d and I think, I think D&D is challenging for encounter balance at all. I th- I think so, yeah. Um like because of the heavy focus on combat kind of pushes everyone into fighting enemies in- instead of seeking other ways out of them. The um the obstacles I had to put in front of you were largely combat obstacles. Mm-hmm. And uh even times when I wanted them to be big bad boss battles, I don't see the big picture well enough to be able to account for the hundred plus spells that there are in D and D, and like I had this boss encounter all cooked up for you guys, and I got really salty about it because you did. Uh, somebody pulled out heat metal, and I was like, "Oh, so everything he does now is in disadvantage unless he takes ten minutes to take off his plate mail." Yep. Oh, and he takes damage every round. Yeah. Oh, and then two rounds later, you guys beat him. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, that was. Supposed to be big and dramatic. And you guys said you had fun with it, and I appreciate that. Right, right. It was fun for you, but it wasn't fun for me. Right. And I think that's that's one of the things that, that is a disservice about D&D, is that when you get to a certain point when you do have six different ideas at the table on uh-huh. how to move through that combat, yeah. and they're all working in conjunction well, yeah. it only takes three rounds. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. like, the only thing I, I could think of to do was, like, give things more hit points, and I didn't want combats to just drag out. Right, you right. Know? So I was kind of in a pickle there, which I'm, I'm glad we've moved to Savage Worlds because it, it, it deals with combat differently enough mm-hmm. that I feel like I can – like, combat's not my only option anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so other troubles, uh, we've, we've had tensions at the table. We did. Uh, we've talked about them a bit before, um, like our Red Guard player, uh, not, working not, not working out for us. Um, we talked about, uh, how our planning sessions were <laughs> taking long and creating some tension. Um, sometimes they were taking over an hour yeah. of just what to do when you walk through a door. And, uh, this was causing some arguments between people who thought that you weren't planning enough versus people who thought you were planning way too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we had to defuse those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, like keeping six players at the table engaged at all times is, is challenging. Yeah. Um, I think I'm doing okay with it, especially because like I mentioned earlier, my players are fans of my other players. That makes a huge difference and suede makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, so Knox in the box is actually asking in the, uh, the, the live chat here, couldn't you use terrain? How do you use that smartly or cleverly? Have we done the show and I've forgotten? Um, that's probably a different show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I do use terrain. But at the same time, like, D&D combat unfolds in a certain way, where mm-hmm. typically everybody kind of mashes up in the middle. 
Yeah. Um, and and that's about it. Like your battle grid is only so big. Your and and one of your trigger happy pyromancer uh, casters goes. The fireball goes. The center of yeah. the fireball goes here. Rule rules notwithstanding, almost every single caster will always have carve spell, so that they can drop whatever they want wherever they want. That will only affect enemies. Well, re- regardless of that, they 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 have the ability to tactically place it wherever they want, and unless you are doing the thirteen encounters per day or something like that, to essentially attrition your your casters down to not being prepared fully for your main for your main boss battle, right? You have to whittle them down a little bit, otherwise they literally just walk in and drop their biggest nukes, and right. that fight is over in three turns. They're always prepared. Yes. They're, they're refreshed and prepared. Uh, um, but yeah, terrain can modify battle. Terrain can definitely do it. Uh, timing uh, on the fight itself. Mm-hmm. You know, don't put all of your targets in one space available yeah. to be jumped. Yeah. That's that's a whole other thing. Waves are a huge part of, of combat. Yeah. Um, and that, that makes a huge difference as well. And, so. you know, like I said, perhaps I set it up wrong. Yeah. Um, perhaps there were, there were different things I could do there. Um. Uh, at the, at this point in the future, this far in the future and not using that system anymore, I'm, I'm not greatly interested in going back and thinking what I could do differently, but, um, but I'm sure, I'm sure I, I shared some of the fault in it not turning out, at the, not meeting my own expectations of yeah. how that should have done. It was, it was unmet expectations is why I got salty about it. Yeah. But we can come back to this because I've, I, I was reading something of called, uh, watching the mummy change the way I did, uh, my encounters. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a beautiful way of explaining it. And uh, we'll come back to that. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that one. Um, uh, and then, uh, like, I've had some trouble predicting player and character motivations. Yeah. Um, Which is super hard to do anyways. It, it is a little bit. But uh, one of the things that I have found, like, uh, and I've, I've started leaning to this real heavy uh, lately, is just outright having conversations with my players <gasps> and being like, well, yeah, oh, my God, communication. <laughs> Didn't we say something about that? It was like a lock or a key or something. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but, uh, not just like asking my players, like, Hey, what would your character do in X, Y, or Z situation? Like, what, what do they want? Like, if left to their own devices, what would your character go and do? What would they seek out? If you had no plot demanding your attention and stuff like that, what would your character be doing? You know? Um, and those sort of like, side conversations with the players about their characters, about their motivations, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, and stuff like that, has really helped me sculpt my plot to what they want. And, I, you know, I see a lot of, of storytellers, like, especially talking about their campaigns online, and they want to, um, you know, they really want to avoid spoilers, and they don't want to, like, they want to keep things close to the fast, and they don't want to talk to their players, they want everything to be a big surprise. And I'm like... I don't like that. I kind of want people to be involved. Yeah. You know, tell me what you want. And I'm not saying that, like, I want to go kill a dragon. Okay, here's a dragon. Kill it. You know, I'm not going to do that. But, like, if I want to hunt a dragon, well, I know I need to maybe find a place where you could find a dragon. And I need to give you a story that allows you to go through that hunt. I'm not going to guarantee victory. You might get your ass kicked by it. Mm-hmm. That might be the end of your character. I don't know. But if hunting a dragon is what you want to do, I should probably try to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If it's realistic and within the scope of my story, sure. No. Absolutely. Um, so that's how I kinda, I've kind of solved that. Um, lastly, talk about a couple of the inspirations. 
Sure. Uh, that I've had in my game. Um, the game in general, um, I talked about a little bit before where uh, I just I, I looked at the video games and was just like, man, like the biggest limitation these things have is programming. Yeah. If you could just cut this story loose and just be able to literally do anything, mm-hmm. this would be so cool. Mm-hmm. And that's why it needed to become a tabletop game. Um, I do that with a lot of properties. Um, I was thinking about Star Trek doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, almost did it with Division. I'm yeah, still. You're, you're still talking about it. Um, yeah, it's it's still on the shelf. It's still mm-hmm. on the shelf. It's it's cooled off a little bit now. I think I think I'm, I'm I might I might I might circle back around to it pretty soon. Um, the Poppy King, uh, inspired by a song. Uh, there's on the Silent Hill three soundtrack. Okay. Big fan of the Silent Hill series. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. Akira Toriyama is an amazing composer. Um, and uh, Akira Toriyama. Keep no. going. I'll look. Yakaoma. Yakaoma. Okay. Um. Anyways. Um. Uh. It's called Flower Crown of Poppies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that it, it sparked a, a a thought in my head of like, what would a, a crown of poppies be? And like, I remember that poppies are the are where opium comes from. Yes. Yes. And so I was thinking a flower crown of poppies would be something that would have a, a almost a drug like effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that got me thinking of like a magical crown that would you know alter the way that you think, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of all went from there. Mm-hmm. A crown that drive drives you mad, and that brought in Shiagorath. The whole thing unfolded. Mm-hmm. Um. I did include a dragon in my game. You did? Uh, you guys met him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that all came from the Mad Elf's character. Uh, we were talking about his character concepts and stuff like that. Uh, he wanted to play a multi-class sorcerer fighter. Mm-hmm. I asked him what his sorceress origin was, and he told me it was the dragonborn one. Mm-hmm. Um, which in just D&D is just uh well, somewhere in your family lineage there's a dragon and dragons are very magical creatures so you get your powers from there. Mm-hmm. But the word dragonborn uh anybody who's played Skyrim knows that there's not a single Elder Scrolls fan alive that doesn't immediately shout Fustro da yep. the moment they hear the word dragonborn and I knew I had to put a dragon mm-hmm. hidden somewhere where that was the source of his powers, right. you know. Um and then the vampires in the sewers uh plot is literally whole cloth lifted from the game oblivion yes um i have altered it in significant ways that if you guys looked it up at least it would half of the plot is me adding on to what is already there okay uh but uh there there is a vampire plot in Skingrad Mm -hmm. that is in the video game oblivion and i just looked it up and went that's actually a great plot i'm gonna use it yep stealing is totally valid yep uh, and that's it. Uh, and then it, it tied great into the Meridia's beacon being there because, uh, Meridia hates undead. Yep. Vampires are undead. Round one, fight. Yep. Nope, I agree. It, it made it very clean. That's it. Uh, but yeah, thievery is not a problem and you had such a rich world to steal from. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's fan service onto its own in the best way. Absolutely. You can get, you can play the game a different way and watch somebody else play it. You are literally watching a playthrough and that's enjoyable. I am. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, alright, so we are, we are running super long. It's almost like a double episode. It is but, totally a double episode. Uh, but we got some questions. I think we um, should answer them. I, I don't think, I don't think it's gonna take too long to get through the questions. No, we only got no, three no. of them and they're, they're pretty quick. Um, so Overwatch asks, uh, when you start out you, you read them. I'll I, read I'm the questions. <laughs> take take a little sip. To, take a minute. So Overwatch does ask, when you start out to build a campaign, what is it about about it and what makes it uniquely yours? Um, I mean, I, I think 
the things that make it uniquely mine is um I, I tend to have very straightforward plots. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do a lot of vicissitudes and the wheels with potatoes. Wheels and so the meat and potatoes kind of plot of just what kind of what you see is almost what you get. You'll have a twist in there or two, but mm-hmm. there, there, there's there's only one one or two layers to, to uncover to, to get to what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's there is very well fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Always has reasons for what's happening. Mm-hmm. They may not be good reasons, or I mean. They'll, they'll be good reasons in that they'll be realistic or, or within the verisimilitude of, of the story, but they're going to be disagreeable reasons. Yes. <laughs> you know, you, you may think the person's made a really crappy choice, but they made a choice based on evidence. Yes. You know? Yes. It's not like they just did something out of instinct. There's never evil for evil's sake in my games. Right. Right. Um, e- you know, evil, evil people are always the, the heroes of their own stories. It, it's one of the few things that I like about good mystery stories Mm -hmm. is that when you're listening when you're when you when you see someone you know a murder happened and you're trying to put together why the murder happened half of it is trying to figure out the mentality and what happened with the individual to make that what choices led up to a body hitting the ground right because it's never just this guy was evil and wanted to murder somebody yeah yeah that's not a story that's not how it happens that's an instinct that's that's a momentary thing now in those stories, it's kind of always interesting, but it mm-hmm. it feels like when you get to a story that ends that way, or like, oh, you just shoved him out the window during a fight, yeah, and then you cause then screw you, that guy. But but the real thing was <laughs> is that you you then did a whole series of other things to get rid of the body. Mm. When really it was probably accidental yeah. or, or or spontaneous, like it wasn't premeditated. Yeah, all you literally needed to go needed to do was go, oh crap, right? That's it. But, Call the police and be like. I plead guilty to manslaughter. <laughs> right, but those stories aren't that interesting, they really. Yeah. They they get confusing. It's the ones that where the person has a motivation, and mm-hmm. that motivation is uncovered. And then you realize that they're not a bad person, but the situation presented itself in a way. There was, there was either passions involved or mm-hmm. moments of circumstance that drove yep. them to it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and those are the, those are the interesting things to me is exploring where people fit into these plots. Yep. And that's kind of the other half of my, of my recipe is I always make sure that I have very vivid, well imagined characters that um, feel like real people, mm-hmm. um, or at least as much as I can do to bring them to life. That's a very important to me. Yeah, it's because that's what he asked next is, what is your secret sauce? And that's your secret sauce, I think. And and, and the thing is, like, I, I don't think, um, well, the, the question is, in what ways do you try to mix in secret sauce to really make it my own? And I don't think I do. You do. Like, I think... <laughs> no, I mean, I, what I'm saying is, I just write the way that I do. Right. And it's it's not that I'm trying to do this. Mm-hmm. It's that that's how I write. Yeah. And um, it's never – I'm articulating it to you because I've been asked directly about it. Yes. It's an unconscious thought process for me when I'm doing it. And mm-hmm. so there's never a try to mix in the sauce. It's just if I go to bake, that's what's coming out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, what's the secret sauce love love it's just it's just what it's it's just my brand yeah and and to contrast that like i to, to i i i think this probably sounds a little arrogant of me of just oh I, I don't even have to think about it i make awesome npcs but like to contrast that 
like I can't write the wheels within wheels plots that you do. Mm. You know, I have a tough time with that. Like with the skin grad plot, with the whole vampires thing is kind of my my fledgling attempt at really making like kind of a deep layered thing going on. And I'm not even sure it's still that deep or layered. You're, you at the, you're at the tiramisu level. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple layers going on. People but... are like, "Wow, this is kind of like a cheesecake." Is that liquor I'm tasting? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Like, hey, and it's kind of got a nice crummy crust. That's 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 unique. I I did not expect this. Yeah, and it's definitely showing. It's mm-hmm. definitely showing. Uh, but but I'm not. But yeah, but I'm I'm not I'm not good at like the the, the Game of Thrones style stuff mm-hmm. that that you tend to do. Where uh, you know, you've got dozens of different characters all bouncing off each other with, you know, months, if not years upon centuries worth of history all unfolding mm-hmm. on, on things. I don't excel at that. Yep. I excel at bad man did thing mm-hmm. for bad reasons. Go stop him. Yeah. Yeah. Take your hammer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so our next question comes from, uh, is it, is Nevim? Nevim. I can uh, always never say it right. Yeah. I don't think Nevim's uh, submitted a question no, yet. So, so we appreciate so, it. Thank you, Nevim. Uh, did you have an idea of an end point of the campaign when designing it at the first, or are you just building it on the run? Uh, okay. Great question. First off, um, end point. No end scenario. I have a, I have a vector. Yes. Okay. I have a, I have a point at which end uh, act three will begin and I have a direction it will head. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the players are going to interact with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know what act three is going to look like. It's going to feel like, um, but the play, it's a really up to the players to determine how they're going to interact with it. If they stop the villain from, you know, unfold, unfolding their plan, um, before a certain point, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like, I, I haven't written the last battle because I have no idea what that battle's going to be. Yeah. So I, the way I see it is, uh, your, your three acts to me mm-hmm. are very much, uh, there's a chest in a room. Mm-hmm. We're going to examine the room. The chest that's in the room, this is the chest. We're going to introduce the chest We're in, we, and describe the chest. You've seen the chest a few times, but now you're focused on it. Mm-hmm. And Act 3, the chest opens. The chest opens and Pandora's this is what box is, is open. This is what's inside. Yes. You've noted things about possibly what could be inside by the gleam coming off the chest, how the chest looks, yes. maybe a note by its delivery, but now we're opening the chest. And... That is a good story because in that case, you're not telegraphing anything. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're in a room with a chest. Everybody notices the chest at some point. Then you present that the chest is in the room directly. Oh, I guess I did notice the chest was there. I just didn't think it was something we could touch. Yep. Oh, crap. Oh, the chest is opened. Oh, the chest is opened. You're excited about what's in there now. Yeah. And it's affecting what's in the room. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So... Uh, so yeah, I uh, hope that answers the question. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Charles, uh, Charles? IGJFCF, uh, yeah. um, asks, uh, how did you recruit your players for your campaign? <laughs> and were they all pre-existing friends? Yes. The an- short answer is yes. Period. Yes. Yeah. Did you change your campaign from your own ideas to compromise with the players' desires? I'm going to leave right there. Um, I don't know that I have greatly changed the campaign like it is it, it, i haven't derailed much from what i originally had sketched out 
Um, mm-hmm. I haven't had to. No. What I have done, though, is sprinkled in each one of the players' own particular flavors to enhance what I already had going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Meridia's Beacon, for instance, mm-hmm. um, was always going to be a, I give it to you. Mm-hmm. And I see what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've told you this a couple times. You literally could have just turned around and went, nope, and chucked it out into the woods. Yep. I didn't have plans for what you were going to do with Meridia's Beacon. If you'd have done that, fine. That's that's your plot to discard. And that's a perfectly valid reaction to have to picking up Meridia's Beacon. Mm-hmm. Probably the smart one, honestly. Yeah, it's Meridia. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, but instead, you you pocketed it. You decided to go where it was. You you treated it like the plot hook, and you leaned into it as a as a player, as a character. Um, you decided to chase it and see where it went. Mm-hmm. Now, that was all I had originally planned. Was eventually, the uh, her sword Dawnbreaker would end up in your hands, making you a official like undead hunter, because that's mm-hmm. basically what the sword does. Right. Um. What it afforded me, though. Uh, once we finally got around to writing that plot, mm-hmm. was an interesting opportunity to explore a theme that had emerged with your character during gameplay. Mm-hmm. And that was you being a priest of mercy. Yes. Um, a, a, a priest of Stendar. Mm-hmm. And reconciling that with your origin story as a soldier. Mm-hmm. And where violence is necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much violence is applicable mm-hmm. when mercy is called for mm-hmm. and who deserves mercy and who does not. Yep. And exploring all of those themes and then putting a big magical sword in your hand and going, who gets the sword? Right. Who gets the pointy end? Right. You tell me. Mm-hmm. And then we tell a story about, about, that. about that. That's what you contributed to my game because you wrote a character that introduced those themes of mercy versus warfare, mm-hmm. mercy versus violence, yep. and allowed me to incorporate those into a plot to explore it further. Yep. Um, and I'm doing that with a lot of my different characters. There, yeah. are, there are plots where I'm leaning into what those characters bring to the table, bring to the story, mm-hmm. and incorporating them into the things I've already sketched out. Yep. And I think that's beautiful because, again, it is it is not your campaign mm-hmm. that is altering. It's the flavor of moments within your campaign and sometimes side moments, not even part of the direct yeah. campaign. Yeah, absolutely. It's still part of the setting. It's still part of the flavor of the world. But it is it is just handling those side dishes, mm-hmm. if you will. Because mm-hmm. so, um, he asked at the end of that, uh, or do you build from the ground up integrating players and your world-building ideas? And I'm going to flat out saying that the only aspect that you did with that is you look, you helped us integrate into the Elder Scrolls world less of here is a character, now I'm building the world to make sure it sits within that framework. Yeah, it was a lot more of like, um, I'm playing a Dunmer. Okay, here's some aspects of Morrowind. Here's, you know. Let's talk about how you fit into that. Right, right, right. Like, what, what, what values do you hold? What house, what are the great houses might you right. belong to? You know, sort of thing. Right, right. Um, so, uh, I, what I'm gonna do actually is when I get to mine, I'm gonna take these questions and add them to my in in July when I do mine. Oh, okay, cuz I think yeah. they're I, I think, think they're great. fantastically these are, these are fantastic valid questions. questions. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to hit those up when I get to that point. Um 
But another beautiful thing that this brought up uh, was that uh, we are we're just by going through this now have other topics that we got to add to the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. So uh, yeah, we do. we've got a few things to talk about, to say the least. Thank you very much for the questions. They definitely help Excellent. us, friend. Then, but just I think this was a fun exercise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's. Uh, do you uh, feel better now that you're through it? It felt yeah. It, it felt when I was writing this. It felt like this was like my my, my senior thesis. You know, yeah. where I was I was just uh, uh this is my final exam. You know. Yep. So uh, it was really good to get through this. Thank you, everybody, for bearing with us. Uh, it's, it's an hour and 47 minutes we've been going here. Uh, next week's topic is going to be handling action consequences. Players do things. How do you react to them and unfold your story on top of that? And sometimes mechanics can help you with that. 7th C does a fine job of it. Uh, other systems don't. And we even talked about handling something as simple as charm. Mm -hmm. That's... That's, that's a consequence that has to occur with that. Sometimes it's the NPCs, but honestly, sometimes it's the player. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, anyways, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, uh, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, mixlr.com slash storyteller dash Conclave, and join us on our Discord. You can find that link on our Twitter uh, or our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, and Hulavu. We truly appreciate all your support. Especially our Veteran for lending me your name. Ha, true. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or in Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for your, uh, for your love and your support. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years, especially my players, uh, who've sat with us at mine to be able to share this campaign with you. Yes. Um, and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night. <laughs>